All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome into the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. This is episode 12 of season four. Some of you, our diehards, must have been thinking last week, what happened to Thomas and Andrew? Did the Gamecocks finally break their spirit? No. If the Gamecocks <laughs> were going to break our spirit, they'd have done it years ago. Thomas and I just had some things going on. My man, Thomas Bowen, is committed. He is sitting outside with a, what do we call that, a beanie, a ski cap? What's the word you use for that, Thomas? I guess it's a beanie. I, I, it's I've beanie. been, uh, I've I've gotten a lot of heat for calling them toboggans. That's what we called them growing that's, up, right? That's what I, I always called it a toboggan myself, so I, I don't know, man. But here we are, fans. We're back. Uh, last week, Thomas and I had to take the week off. I was uh, traveling. I was in France, lucky enough to go over there and see the Gamecock women uh, basketball team put a hurting on the Notre Dame women, and they did that again Sunday uh, on against Maryland. And shout out to Don Staley and her players. Thomas, this is a football podcast, but if we're Gamecocks, we can't pass up the opportunity to talk about what Don Staley and her basketball team is doing right now. It is quite quite dominant uh and then you know had another dominant performance was that last night against maryland i believe yes it was it was yesterday um, afternoon yep. 100 points again right that's right most points they've ever scored in program history i believe last Man. night or yesterday <clears throat> afternoon against the the terps and you know Ridiculous. here's the thing uh thomas you know they are five new starters out there for coach staley we have reached as a women's basketball program the place you want to be, the place we want our football program to get, where you don't rebuild. She calls Reload. it a load. She calls it a remodeling, which I I, I like that. I okay, like that. okay. Um, and you know, shout out to those to them and all their hard work, and I hope they keep rolling. Coach Staley um, is an amazing coach. Uh, she's also an Eagles fan, so I love her for that. But let's <laughs> talk. Let's talk football. Speaking of the Eagles fans, if you're new to the show, we are the slightly above that average football fan podcast we like to think we have a little bit deeper knowledge than the average football fan thomas and i both played the game we love the game we coach the game we study the game we're obsessed with it right before the show started thomas sent me a clip of a, a, a twist stunt we did in the game against vanderbilt this past week that was both of us really enjoyed so thomas we're going to kind of do a, a double week recap since we we were off the air uh last week and you know we're not going to hit too much on that uh Jacksonville State game because quite honestly neither one of us saw it um, because I couldn't get it in Europe and I believe you had a, a, an event you were at the most important thing there is the Gamecocks got that W and I think that's about all we can say about that game Thomas that's positive would you agree there yeah they're they're really the the limited amount that I did see not a whole lot of positivity I mean hell Jacksonville State made it a game and we knew coming into that game that you know they were no slouch a rich ride offense is always going to keep you on your on your toes but <clears throat> I saw a lot of sloppy play and it wasn't a whole lot of inspired football. So I was glad, like you said, to get the win, flush it, move on, and then have this Vanderbilt performance that we're going to get into here in a second. Yeah, I was very happy with how we, you know, it's always weird to say you rebounded after a win, but that was not what we wanted against Jacksonville State. You're right. 
Rich Rod, he falls short as a human being in many ways, but he is a very good <laughs> offensive coordinator and coach. And they gave us a run for our money. But, yes, let's switch over to the Vanderbilt Commodores. Thomas, would you agree right off the top of the of, of the dome here, D'Lo's best game calling a, calling a uh, plays on offense? Uh, yeah, I think so. I saw a lot of new wrinkles out there um, and just some good creativity and also some some stubbornness and hardheadedness, which yep. we have wanted in certain s- situations. And uh, yeah, I would completely agree with that for myriad reasons that yeah. I'm certain we're going to touch on. I love seeing the pocket move. I've been asking for that for a while. I love seeing what we were doing with the tight end. The tight end, we had pre-snap motion and then during the play, so, fans, a pre-snap notion, if you're not familiar with that term, that's when a player moves before the ball is snapped. You might be thinking, well, why is that a big deal? It messes the defense up. they got to change everything. Football is like a giant chess match. If I move my piece, you got to get ready to move yours. That throws everything off uh, kilter there. So I was happy to see that. Um, and then, Thomas, not only pre-snap, but in the play when the ball was snapped, you saw a lot of crossing movement in that backfield, a lot of misdirection where the tight end could either be coming across as a blocker or he could leak out on an easy outlet for Spencer Radler on a pass. Josh Simons had a heck of a football game, made a great play on, I believe it was a third and medium there where he broke a tackle, looked like he was going to get stopped short. Didn't let that happen. And, you know, you got to love that when you see that happening. Thomas, the offense clicked in a way that they, that they really hadn't, you know, Spencer, we've talked about him. Xavier Leggett, we're going to talk about him as well. And, and Mario Anderson all had big games. They've been doing that. But overall, as an offense, minus Spencer's interception, which I really have, as I've rewatched that play, I feel like there's a miscommunication there. I think that might have been an option route. He was expecting something different. And, of yeah. course, you know, Thomas, we would be remiss if we didn't point out it was pouring down rain, uh, you know. and, and that's, Miserable. That's gonna, it was windy. That's going to impact you now. One of our fans of the show pointed out to me that in the 2014 and 2018, uh, particularly that Missouri game in 2018, when we had Skarnekia come in there, it was an awful, awful day. Oh, jeez. But we made we played great, and you know maybe we're a rain team, man. Let's start doing a rain dance before these <laughs> games. Um, I really enjoyed what I saw. Thomas, offensive line. You know this was the first time they said during the broadcast. This was the first time all season you had the same five starters in the game, in the same position, all year, two weeks back-to-back. That is hard to overcome. And also, along with that, we <clears throat> see the tight end helping out on blocking, uh, on the uh, on passing and running. And you even saw a wing out there a few times as an extra blocker out there. And I, I thought that was fantastic. Really impressed. Thomas, if you had to, you know, let's, let's call a spade a spade. We've been saying it all season. It's not a top secret. It's not a shot at anybody. This offensive line has, has struggled due to injury, due to inexperience, due to a lot of things. But there have been many games this season, more than we want to think about, where offensive line just had a hard day. Overall, the offensive line played very well. Um, now, I will say, and I'll make this point when we talk more about Kentucky here in a second, too many procedural penalties still. We can't be having false starts by our offensive linemen. Um, I did see uh, Nick G got called for a, a false start at center. I think he had double clutched the ball. But there again, that, that sucker gets slippery. So he's on edge, yeah. he's ready to snap that ball. Jason Kelsey, my favorite football player for the Eagles on my favorite team, plays the center position. And he talks all the time about, as a center, you're itching to snap that ball because you need your other hand to block somebody. 
You need your yeah. other to block somebody. And so that, you know, when you're ready to snap that ball and that thing's slick because it's been raining, you, you might do that, but we got to clean that up. So, Thomas, before I jump any, any more in there, what were your overall impressions of the offensive line, in particular <laughs> performance uh, in both the run and the pass game? Yeah, uh, it was it was a lot more consistent. Uh, again, you know that we're talking relatively relative to past performances, but yes, I think this offensive line looked good in this game. I saw more consistency. Uh, do need to clean up those procedural penalties, but you know we're talking about an offensive line here that held up for almost 500 yards of total offense, 351 passing, 136 rushing. Yards per rush, 5.7. You've got to be doing something right on the offensive line to be getting over five yards a clip rushing the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I want to see them continue to build on that success and that confidence because, good Lord, we're going to need them for the next two weeks. And, Thomas, we're going to talk about <clears throat> here in detail about a big play. It made ESPN Sports Center top ten, I believe. Um, Mario Anderson, Super Mario. Man, that dude was running cold, Thomas. Some dudes over there on the Vanderbilt offensive, our defense, they needed some ice. If they were still in Columbia, where could they get a good deal on ice, Thomas? Oh, I'll tell you where they do not need to go for that ice, and that is the gas station. You can you can keep that those solid blocks of ice. Now, maybe if you need something for uh, your holiday party, uh, ice luge, you're going to uh, do some Goldschlager down it or whatever the kids are doing these days. But <laughs> Stay if you want some good ice, some good ice for your cooler for your drinks. You need to check out our friends at Twice the Ice. Can you believe that they charge almost three dollars plus tax for a seven pound bag now from the gas station? They used to be ten pounds, then eight. Now they're only seven. I'm going to tell you where you can go and get a sixteen pound bag or twenty pounds dumped directly in your cooler for only two dollars and fifty cents. These machines are conveniently located around the Columbia area, including Chapin, Irmo, St. Andrews, West Columbia, downtown, even east over out at my boy Mr. Bunkies. And we have a special offer for you, our listeners. You can get one bag absolutely free. When you're standing at the machine, just text the word AVERAGE to the yellow phone number with a bag slide out. Super cool. Try it for your next tailgate. Participating locations can be found at tticlub.com slash Lake Murray Ice. All right, Andrew. Paid the bills. Let's see what we got going here for the rest of that Vanderbilt game as we get ready for Kentucky. So, Mario Anderson, I mentioned it briefly there, an epic run. You could compare it. To a beast mode run, if you will, the most famous of those being, you know, the Seattle Seahawks when Marshawn Lynch went for a epic. Oh my dude! Where he just ran dudes over, refused to go down, and that was what Mario did. Thomas, I'm going to take it to a Super Mario reference here. It was like Mario had gotten that star you get where you can just run through people in Super Mario, and uh, yeah. You're blinking and all the bad guys <laughs> just keep getting out of the way. That's what Mario was doing, man. Somebody needs to make that happen on online who has better editing skills than me and make him light up like he got the star in Super Mario. Like that's what he that's what he looked like, man. He ran some dudes over. He has proven over and over again this season, Thomas. He is not just a capable SEC back. I would put him as an above average to very good. SEC back is that my garnet colored glasses coming out or would you agree with that no I think you're absolutely right especially considering because 
you know, he's got he's got over 500 rushing yards and he's only been the the lone starter, the RB1 for the last handful of games it seems like. So no, I think he is 100% an SEC back and he is definitely a firmly established SEC back. He should have been the RB1 the whole season. Right. And his hand and the coaching staff's hand got forced on that a little bit because we did have DK Joyner get hurt against Jacksonville State. He was not available for the Vanderbilt game. And then during the Vanderbilt game, Juju McDowell broke his collarbone, unfortunately, and he is out for the year. So it was it will be the Mario Anderson and DJ Braswell show going forward. And DJ made some plays when he was out there, had a great run after a catch on a little swing route there. So, you know, that's a true freshman. You're asking to step up late in the year. He he showed some some good things there. But Mario Anderson has proven he can play this game at the highest level, which the SEC is the highest level. I don't care what anybody says. Kirby Smart said it best. You want some of this? Come get some of this SEC football. And he has really proven that he is as good, or I should say much better than advertised as the back. I believe he has another year of eligibility, Thomas. He's done a lot this season. I just, you know, in the days of NIL, we can hopefully keep him around because we could certainly use that back next year with hopefully some some more production out of that offensive line wouldn't you agree yeah i agree and he is um he's he's listed as a senior but i think he's got that covid year in there or or, or the transfer year or some i believe he's got another year so yeah we would absolutely need him he's got that graduate year i think they were calling it now the super senior yeah. if you will so i think he can come back that would be huge speaking of players that are making themselves some money this football season, Xavier Leggett Beast has cleared the thousand yard receiving mark for this season. I believe he is the fifth Gamecock to do that ever. There's some high praise, some 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 notable names there. Of course, Sterling Sharp, Alshon Jeffrey, Pharaoh Cooper. Uh, I believe Kenny uh, McKinley had had a thousand yard. I mean, that is not a small task that is that is monumental and you know great job and thomas on top of that if you watch that football game if he wasn't running around xavier was limping like he yeah. he is in some pain and when the ball snaps he just puts that out of his mind and he's going man and i respect the heck out of him for that he you, i mean you can tell that ankle hurts or maybe it's both ankles and when he's not running a route, when he's not in a play, he is labored to move. And you got to just love a guy who says, I, yeah, it hurts, but when the ball snaps, I don't care about that. I got to go play ball. And he's doing that, has to continue doing that this week against Kentucky. So, Thomas, talk to us a little bit about what the defense has done in the past two weeks, particularly against Vanderbilt, that you've liked. You know, we we talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was the A and M game when we first started to see some odd man fronts, some three man fronts. We saw some three four, some three three five. <clears throat> really like that, um, especially since, as we've talked about before, Clayton White pretty much lives in that four man front, that even front with a quarter shell on the back end or the two high safeties. But uh, you and I were were texting. Um, we're texting about it because we pretty much lived in odd fronts in this Vanderbilt game. Whereas you saw some peppering of it in the AM game. Um and then they pretty much lived in it this game. I really liked it. You and I texted about it in saying that right now, with this defense much maligned as it has been, the more linebackers on the field, the better. 
Um, I did see yeah, the the play that uh, that Andrew was referencing earlier, uh, and we ran this a couple times, particularly on passing downs, third passing downs. But we would come out in the three three five, and the linebackers, the two linebackers, usually on at least in the clip that I sent you, was on the uh, on the field side to the wide side of the field, and it was essentially an overloaded blitz. Uh, the the two linebackers on that side twisted the outside one went inside inside went outside and just overloaded that side resulted in a sack I saw us do that a couple times um, I'm starting to see more and more wrinkles with that three man front uh, we were dropping eight into coverage a lot and just letting those front three work I saw some exotic blitzes out of it really like that I think one thing that I didn't realize until probably today. But Debo Williams, you know, let's be honest, he's not a, a cover, a cover guy. And mm-hmm. I really don't like him in coverage, but he is having a hell of a year. 94 tackles on the year, eight tackles for loss. I mean, he's a prototypical, uh, you know, like middle linebacker type of guy, mm-hmm. but he's had huge year. Uh, the last couple of weeks, he's had good games. All right. Here's something else I want to talk about that I noticed here. We have talked about in the last couple of weeks, particularly going back to the Florida game, how uh, we started using Nick E in the slot more and how he was getting burned. He got picked on in that Florida game. Mm-hmm. I think this Vanderbilt game was one of Nick's best games of the year. I saw some old Nick out of him. He was setting the edge, laying the wood. But DQ, Nick Emanwari, and Jalen Kilgore, now that they've kind of been in their established roles for a few weeks, they're starting to get better and better and getting more confidence. I really like that now that they've settled into it. Um, finally, I, I hate to, to to bash on the kid, but Jordan Strawn has just been mm-hmm. a disappointment since he's come back. I don't know if, if he doesn't trust himself, certainly understandable after the injury that he had, but man, he's been kind of uh kind of disappointing. But the 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 front guys. Front guys play well again against Vanderbilt. I saw a lot of pressure. It looks like the defense is having more fun now. They're playing freer. They're playing looser. Some of the things I saw, some of the things that I that I'm glad to see and look forward to carrying over into these last two games, which, as we said, are still must win games. Absolutely, and I agree with you on uh, or Jordan. Uh, You know, (laughs) I just wonder if you know. I said this a couple weeks back coming back from a knee injury nowadays with, with medical science and, and, and all that good stuff, guys can come back very in early from a knee injury and, and play, but that explosiveness takes more time to get back. You mentioned trust. That's a part of it, but I just, you know, it's just different. And, you know, I hope he can continue. Maybe he can come on in these next two weeks to, to, you know, make us go, Oh, wow. He, he found it again. He did start trusting that knee again. One guy, Thomas, that we have maligned a little bit on defense and, Unfortunately, I'm going to do it again, although he did have a clutch, the clutch play in Jacksonville State game, Stone Blanton. Thomas, if you had to guess without looking at the stat sheet, you may have it in front of you, so don't cheat. How many tackles did Stone Blanton Blanton have in the Vanderbilt game? Oof. Uh, Yeah, I definitely don't have that stat in front of me. What, like, uh, I don't know, four? Two. Two tackles. Two, all right. At middle linebacker, he was credited with two tackles that is not going to get the job done got to figure out something there i'm not i mean i'm sure he's a great kid and 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 all that good stuff hard worker they say he lives in the film room and weight room that's all wonderful but we got to find a way to get more production out of him than two tackles in a football game and 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 i guess 
look, I, I'm not going to make any excuses for him because, like, uh, look, I'm right there with you. And but I guess to his credit, he's what still he's a true sophomore, right? This Correct. is his first time in a starting role, and I do see the improvement out of him. I guess it's just uh, is that the best we got? Maybe it is if we're running the four two five. So just don't run the damn four two five anymore. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. And before we jump into UK, one guy I didn't mention on the rundown that I have on the rundown, and he definitely warrants it. Lenora Sellers came in a little bit there in garbage time. Uh, Coach uh, Beamer, even I about said Coach Spurrier. Uh, Coach <laughs> Beamer, even kind of because Coach Spurrier would definitely have never done this. He sort of apologized to the Vandy coach at the end of the game, basically saying, hey, we weren't trying to run it up there. Vandy coach, to his credit, was like, hey, man, it's all good. I know you weren't. But Lenoris came in, showed some ability as a runner. He has shown arm talent. He has certainly got the speed and the size and the toughness. Thomas Spencer Radler, love the guy. I am going to say it very clearly. He's the best talent we have had at that position ever at the University of South Carolina so far because I'm not convinced Lenora Sellers can't be extremely special. Extremely special. <laughs> okay, so he's going to be better than Rattler is what you said? I didn't say as a pure passer. I didn't say <laughs> as a pure passer. I'm just saying he's got some special things that maybe like I, another Connor Shaw, maybe. Yeah, I've got I've always am going to have a soft spot. Connor is one of the reasons why for a running quarterback, because when and, and Spencer's not a statue. Spencer's not Steve Tanning Hill. He can move when he needs to. He's proven Had that a running out. touchdown okay. this weekend, Had a running touchdown. But there's a there when you got a guy who can truly be that dual threat runner. It it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Oh, and I agree. I just think he's going to be special. And again, not discrediting Spencer, uh, Spencer Radler, really a, has done a phenomenal job this season. I'm so happy for him. I hope I said this to a good buddy of the show, Sean Smith, good buddy of me and Thomas's from college, and he corrected me because I said he's a first day drafter or draft pick. And you know nowadays they only do the first round on that first night. Used to be they did the first and second. I think he's a first, he, I think he's a second round draft pick at worst. If he does really well in combines and, and pro days and stuff like that, he might sneak his way, Thomas, into that first round. I'm not calling him a, a top 10 pick by any means. And I, I don't mean that as a slight against him. I think to Rattler has proven, and I'm just going to say it, he can be a productive starter in the NFL. I don't mean that he's going to be an all-star, all-pro, Patrick Mahomes, but he has shown at least the ability. I would say his floor is a capable starter to an extremely good backup, but could be a capable starter, in my opinion, next, next year in that NFL. You know, Again, I'm not saying he's going number one overall by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he has proven – and again, he's playing behind an offensive line that's struggling. He's playing with a group of wide receivers and running backs that are banged up, to say the least. Xavier Leggett, at this point, is the focal point of our offense. Everybody knows it. He's getting him the ball. He got Josh Simon the ball. He got Amarin Brown the ball. He got Omega the ball. And on Doty. Great Doty, great pass. How about Doty with a little bit of an alley oop there to uh, <laughs> uh, on the on the bad pass or bad uh, miss catch there? So. Anyway, Thomas, we've I, I got off the rails there for a second. Let's talk this coming week. We've talked about Coach Beamer has used the phrase a November to remember. 
We have to go 4-0 in November to make it to a bowl game. We are 2-0 currently, and we've said coming into this month, Jacksonville State and Vanderbilt were the two you, you should feel confidence you can get. Business is about to pick up. The Kentucky Wildcats come to Williams-Brice for a 7.30 kickoff. Thomas, it's been documented. I just talked about it, and I'm broken record. Offensive line is clutch in this game. We cannot have those procedural penalties. Can't start at first and 15. Can't have a big play on first down, and it's second and six or second and five, and all of a sudden you jump, and now it's second and 10. Or, you know, you can't you just can't have that happen. It's got to get cleaned up. You are at home. Fans, if you are listening to this game, when that offense is out there, it should be as quiet as church. Those guys should be able to hear if someone sneezes in the upper deck. Don't let <laughs> anything happen to get those guys to jump off sides. Again, I love the creativity. You mentioned new wrinkles. I hope we still have those coming this season or this next two games. Thomas, <clears throat> big key here, can't turn the football over. We have not done right. a terrible job of that this season. Spencer has thrown a, the occasion, occasional you know, wayward pass, if you will, but overall played great. We've said that over and over again. We've held on to the ball fairly well in the run game. Cannot give Kentucky extra time with the ball by turning it over to them. Thomas, we saw a lot of drops in the Vanderbilt game. We've talked about the rain. That's obviously got an impact. That's something that cannot happen. You know, Nick Harbor is somebody that had kind of come on of late and had been making some big plays, using that big body and that speed. Made some great blocks in this game, by the way. Was given great effort on the in the run game. Did not have a great, you know, game as a receiver. Did have a pass that he, it was not his fault. It was short by Spencer. We need him to make an impact to really make that defense not be able to just shut us down in the passing game by shutting down Leggett. Guys are stepping up. We've seen Omega Blake do great things. We've seen Brown do great things. It's got to continue this week. And, Thomas, I'm still going to say it. Now we can definitely do it. I need a Lenora Seller series if, and I'm going to cut ca caveat that, if, let's say we stall, Thomas, we go three and out. It's a key moment of the game. We're, you know, we're down 7-0, seven 7-3, seven whatever the case may be. I would not hate in a situation where we have good field position or something along those lines, seeing number 16 and those rec specs come out there and make Kentucky <laughs> think about something. I'm just saying, again, it's nothing against Spencer. It's about making the defense think about something else and be concerned. We should have Trey Knox back this this uh, game and, the, and against uh, Clemson, all things considered, and hopefully he stays healthy. Uh, you know, we got to have all the weapons, as many as we can. We got to win these next two games. We're not going to be, we're not favored this Saturday. It's a, it's a, it's a small line. I saw Kentucky two and a, it was down to two and a half last I looked at it. Um, so you're going to have to make big plays. You're going to have to make huge plays. Got to take advantage of moments. And I really just, I want to believe that that can happen on offense. We have shown it. Really showed it against Vanderbilt. We've shown it at different times. Got to continue that. Thomas, our defense, as you said, much maligned by everybody, you and me included, but they've made some changes over there on the defensive side of the ball. We're seeing those three-man fronts. What do we need to see to beat Kentucky? Oof. You know, 
This Kentucky team is kind of weird uh, because they, you know, earlier in the year they came out and just blasted Florida. And Ray Davis running back, he had like 3,000 yards in that game. And it was like, oh, man, Kentucky's just going to be road grading people this year. But, you know, it kind of dropped off a little bit, six and four now. But here's the thing. Quarterback Devin Leary, uh, he was an NC State transfer. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. Transfer from NC State. Uh, they've got their their boy Liam Cohen back at OC, who was uh, the big mastermind behind Will Levis, and then Liam Cohen left to go back to the NFL. Now he's back as their OC. But all that to say, he hasn't done nearly as much with Leary as he did with Levis. Now that probably has something to do with individual talent level there. But all of that to say that I'm loading the box South Carolina needs to load the box, dare Leary to throw, because they do have a good run game. They've got a solid offensive line. Uh, Ray Davis is still playing well. Uh, he's still got, you know, almost 1,000 yards. He's up there in the SEC rankings, so you got to load the box. But even still, when I say load the box, I do not mean that we need to go back to four-man fronts. I want to no. see more three-man fronts, more linebackers on the field like we talked about earlier and uh, just really make them have to pass. I think I think South Carolina can really stuff some of that run game with three-man fronts. I don't think Florida did a lot of that against them, and I think they just gashed them up the middle. So South Carolina's got to pull some more three-man fronts and just live in that at that point. Thomas, I agree with you 100%. What are your thoughts on getting a little creative with the guys you've mentioned personnel at linebacker? What could What do you think about maybe getting creative there and who do you think we could maybe sub out there or, or do some creative things that we can do? Well, uh, obviously, with with a question worded so eloquently, you obviously must have something in mind. I'm sure it's another one of your mad scientist ideas. Why don't you lay it on me? <laughs> what makes you think that? I'm I'm confused by that. <laughs> um, can we get can you see a scenario, a package, if you will? Let's get Nick E closer to the line of scrimmage. Can we sub out, and again, I hate to keep dumping on the kid, can we sub out, you know, for example, Stone Blanton and put Nick in there, who's a solid tackler, good-sized kid, and get him closer to the line of scrimmage and not lose a lot on the back end in that safety role, or am I crazy? Uh, well, not, not totally crazy, and, and uh, to be honest with you, I think that was one of the primary driving forces behind putting Nick E on that slot guy. It gets him closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, but uh, so honestly, uh, I don't want to. Yeah, originally I did say that get Stone Blanton the hell off the field and put Nick E at that linebacker spot. But I, I've gone back on that now. I think Nick needs to stay where he is, honestly, as much as I did hate it a couple of weeks ago. But more of those three men, three men front, because you get more linebackers on the field. And we've seen some more play out of Pup Howard, the young guy, Jerron Willis, the transfer from Ole Miss, uh, Bam Martin Scott. I didn't even realize this until I just looked at the box score just now that led the team in tackles with, I think, 13 tackles. So between Bam Martin Scott, Debo, and as as much as we like to bag on him, Stone Blanton, those are three good linebackers for your three three five right there. Throw in Jerron Willis, one of the other guys, to uh, complete your three four. So I think the answer there is keep Nick where he is, but run more of those odd fronts. 
Okay, I like that. That's smart. I'm just we we are now truly a back against the wall situation. We've shown creativity on both sides of the ball. We've mentioned that a lot tonight and in, in a couple of weeks here. I just am trying to think of what can you know. All the time in football and every sport, really, you talk about let's get our best guys on the field. So I want to get our best 11 out there that we, you know, I agree with you. When you put Nick in that slot role, I do agree with you. I think he was the alley player, which is what we call him. And on the offensive side, he's trying to set that as he's trying to scrap, you know, pick up there, scrape off. But where he had some weakness was trying to cover a slot wide receiver. And Florida, you know, exposed that to a to a huge extent there. So I totally agree, which is why I was suggesting don't put him in that spot. Get him a little close, get him more to the middle. Cause I think he's instinctive enough, fast enough, tough enough to make some plays. But you are right that, you know, I, I Guys made plays. Bam was really good. I heard on the radio or somewhere, saw it maybe on a message board that Pat DeMarco, I think, comes on uh, one of the 107.5 The Game shows, and he had mentioned Bam, and if he's healthy, how he could be a major contributor going down the stretch. And man, was he against uh, Vanderbilt, and hopefully he'll continue to be that way. So, Thomas, that's really kind of what I'm I'm thinking and getting at here is we got to continue to be creative. We, you know, we saw several times against Vanderbilt that we almost had interceptions, you know, ended up making big plays on those, but we got to get those. Wouldn't you agree? We're still not getting those turnovers like we have the first two years under this defense. Yeah. And honestly, I I think at this point, yeah, that would be nice. But I think at this point, it's just not this defense's identity. And those those earlier Clayton White defenses had, well, for starters, had a lot more pure cover corners and talent on the back end. And we weren't putting as much stress on the safeties as this defense has to now. So I've just kind of learned to accept it that I just don't think this is how this defense operates. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so I have a a big hypothetical question that our, our good buddy, friend of the show, former teammate of mine, uh, lifelong friend, Andrew Fisher, hit me with after the game uh, that I want to get into in just a second. But Thomas, we wouldn't, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on for just a second the coaching carousel getting started in college football already. Jimbo, oh yeah. Jimbo Fisher has been relieved of his duties as head coach at Texas A&M to the tune of a buyout of I've seen 75 million, I've seen 77.5 million. Regardless, they are paying him 70 plus million dollars to go away. It's insane. Wow. I mean, wow. Like, I know he has not won the West. I know he has not had apparently a 10 win season during his time at College Station. I saw something online that said when he got hired, they gave him a mock uh, national championship trophy and left the year blank kind of being like, Hey, this is what we expect of you. So obviously if they're expecting that, they, they obviously haven't sniffed anything like that or even the West. So that I'm guessing is what, what led these folks to, to drive him out of town already, but talk about some oil money. If you're willing to give this guy $75 million to go away. Yeah. And, and the thing that's crazy about it, and I don't even think I knew this until today, but yeah, so $76 million buyout. But here's the thing. There is no set off. There's no set off. The, as you know, and just to explain to our listeners, the vast majority of these coaching contracts has set offs built into them. So that means that when this coach, if this coach gets fired while they're getting their buyout from this institution, if they get another job, that new salary they get is 
offsets that mm-hmm. buyout. So they get paid less. There's no buy, there's no offset here. He could mm-hmm. go get a head coaching job tomorrow for God knows how much money, and AM still has to pay him $76 million. That is, he has the best agent in the country. And AM's administrators are worse than Ray Tanner when it comes to contracts. Ah, there you go. There you go. Also, Arkansas has let go of, I believe it's official now that they've let go of Sam Pittman, who's been there. He's had some good seasons, but this year has been a bit of a disaster. Thomas, has he been let go officially? Do you know? I don't know. I was going to say if that's official, I did not know that yet. Okay. Maybe it's just rumored. Maybe it's just rumored because there has been questions floating around on the internet and, and whatnot about. Would they come after D'Lo? I don't think they'd come after him for head coach per se, but would they try to lure him back to Arkansas as OC? Um, Obviously, he played there. That that's, but I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, And then you have the question of who replaces Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. We've seen Coach Prime's name come up. Thomas, the guy I'm going to throw his name out there, Mike Elko at Duke. We've talked about him as an up and star. And 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 let, let's face it, he he was a very successful DC at AM for for many years. He's got history there. Um, I and, and he's doing great things at Duke. We've talked about. Uh, I'm a big Mike Elko fan and what he's done at Duke this year. But I, I kind of feel like AM is is going to want to go splashier than Elko, somebody who has been a head coach longer, more sustained success. They're going to wildly overpay somebody else, and it is going to be hilarious, and I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. And now I'm going to throw this out, and then we'll, get, we'll finish out the show. They're, you know, Tyler from Spartanburg came after old uh, Coach Sweeney up there in the upstate, that, that boy. Is he tired of the Clemson mess and the the pressures uh, of being there? Not that it would be any less pressure at College Station. Does Texas A&M come sniffing around Clemson? <laughs> Man, I don't even know what to think about that. I, that would be very on brand for A&M to do something like that, to pull Dabo and, man, Clemson would be some kind of pissed off. They absolutely would. All right, I've I've delayed enough. Thomas, here is your hypothetical. All right. Truly hypothetical. So coming into this question, you have to assume that in this scenario, we are not going to win both of the next two football games. Okay? Okay. So the question is, would you rather beat Kentucky than have Clemson beat you and keep you out of a bowl game, your rival, or go zero and two. Okay, so let me get this straight. So in both of my choices, I'm losing to Clemson, right? That's cor- that-, that that's correct. So well, then I'm w- definitely going to take the first one because I want to beat Kentucky. <laughs> if I'm losing to Clemson, either way, I mean, give me the lesser of two evils. I, I mean, I, I agree with that. My only thought process is I do understand the like, man, that would sting. They'd love to hold it over our heads that they were the reason we didn't go to a bowl game. You know, obviously Clemson has not had the season they wanted. They've been better of late, be, knocking off Notre Dame, for example. And, and and you know, it's just been things have turned around a little bit there for the boys up in the upstate. But I thought that was kind of a fun, fun thought because you're right. I do. My, my brain says if you're going to not beat Clemson and at least beat Kentucky. But then I do understand the thought process to an extent of, do you really want your rival to be able to say we kept you out of a bowl game? Just, you and know, I think, I think my, my, my response to that would be like, it's a bowl game. Who gives a crap? Mm, gotcha. Fair, fair, you know, fair. So whatever. 
Got you. All right. Well, I think it's an interesting thought. All right. So let's get into a Kentucky prediction. Thomas, man, here here I go. Here I go, Thomas. You're sipping the Kool-Aid. It's a night game at Williams-Brice. Kentucky did not have, you know, they as you said, they have not been the Kentucky of the early season. South Carolina's got momentum coming out of this Vanderbilt game. They've seen creativity. They've shown creativity. They've shown the ability for players to step up. By no means am I calling this a sure win, but I I do believe the Gamecocks find a way to beat Kentucky at home. Am I insane? No, I don't. I don't think you're insane. At least not with regard to this per se. But um, yeah, so the line's down to uh, to one and a half now. Um, so the line's moving a little bit. I do think South Carolina has some good momentum coming into this game. Backs against the wall. Kentucky's already bowl eligible, so it's like, what are they really playing for other than just bragging rights here at this point? I know it stung them so bad when we beat them last year because Mark Stoops is probably still butthurt over that one. But, yeah, this – I mean, this Kentucky game, they've had some some quote-unquote quality losses, if you will, uh, to Georgia. I mean, the teams they've lost to was Georgia, Missouri, Tennessee, and then Alabama. But this is also the same Kentucky team – who Vanderbilt scored 28 on and Vanderbilt scored six against us in garbage time. So I think South Carolina can win this one. I think South Carolina will win this game, uh, setting up for one hell of a showdown next week against the boys from Pickens. Mm, I, okay. All right. Well, we're, we're going to be back next week. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to Europe. Thomas doesn't have any uh, adventures coming up. So we'll be talking about it. I hope we are sitting here a week from now, uh, discussing the big the big stakes that are that are going to be a part of this rivalry you know I, I ideally you want your rivalry to be at that that Georgia Bama level um where it's hey who's going who's going to the national championship or, or whatever the case may be um but if you win against Kentucky you always want to beat your your rival no matter what but it the stakes are huge the stakes are huge. That game has been announced as a 7:30 game. Which Thomas, did you find that surprising? I kind of found that surprising. Uh, as far as the Clemson game being 7:30, yes, yes. <laughs> no, not really, because I think just looking at the quality of the other games that are next weekend and the time slot, and I feel like benefit of the doubt always goes to the Palmetto State rivalry. I like it. I like it. All right, Thomas, let's finish this out. Talk about a look around college football. What games are you looking at? All right, you know, not 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 a whole lot of uh really really uh, marquee ones here, but a couple jumped out to me. Starting at three thirty, we got number two Georgia at number thirteen Tennessee. Georgia is favored by ten and a half in this game. Look, I, I think Georgia continuing to be, and I'm using air quotes here for the listeners, uh, disrespected as the number two team in the country, and uh, I'm certain uh, they're going to continue to use that fodder. Uh, to to fire fire up the dogs and I think Georgia wins this game especially after what kind of happened to Tennessee last week but I feel like this game's always has the the the, the potential for wackiness factor is yeah. a little high on this game I agree with you I think Georgia and you know Kirby Smart obviously a uh, Nick Saban uh, tree coach disciple if you will you know Nick Saban has always it I mean look at Alabama let's just be honest about their 
they're starting to play their best football when it matters the most. I feel like Georgia is starting to play their best football when it matters the most. You know, yeah. this is not the Georgia team that we played. What was that week three or week four or, uh, you know, where we gave them a run for their money for at least a half. I think this Georgia team is is clicking at the right time. And I think Tennessee's stumbling to finish out the season. Uh, I, you're, you're right, though. There's there's always something kooky, something weird that happens in this game. But I could I, I it's possible to see Georgia run them out in Knoxville. And boy, howdy, if that happens, (laughs) the Tennessee faithful are not going to take it well. And the Boo Birds will start coming out, and you're going to see some orange in those turnpikes, whatever they have up there in Knoxville. Um, And and I think think if Georgia plays like they played against Ole Miss, I think they blow their doors off. I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I think so. I will love every minute of it. All right, 7.30. 7.30. This is a game that uh, looks wild to me, and I'll tell you why in a second here. Number five, undefeated Washington at number 12, Oregon State. Oregon State is favored by one point in this game. What am I missing here? What am I missing? Washington, undefeated. Oregon State, two losses. Washington, legitimate Heisman finalist and mm-hmm. quarterback. This, mm-hmm. uh, what the hell does Vegas know that we don't know? That's a great question. What, what about Oregon State? I mean, what do they, what do they like? I mean, I, I mean, not that they're a bad football team; they're number twelve in the country. But Washington hasn't shown a whole lot of weaknesses. I mean, you no. know, they, they, you know, what? I mean, I get, I do know that it's at Oregon State, but. That minus one for Oregon State against the number five team in the country that could easily make it into the final four before this season's all said and done. Like you said, a, a valid, true, legitimate Heisman candidate at quarterback. Like, yeah, what is like you said? What does Vegas know here that we don't know? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think Washington continues to roll, and I'm enjoying watching them, watching them uh, as well, but. Man, this so that that's that's what stood out to this game. So I'm looking forward to that game. Uh, finally, wrapping it up with Florida at number 14, Missouri. Missouri is favored by 11 and a half. Look, I hate to admit it, I don't like saying it, but Missouri is a good football team. Missouri 2023 is a good football team, and Missouri should handle Florida. They should handle them in this game. This game could get wacky, too. I don't know why. I don't have any information on this. I could just see Billy, Sunbelt Billy, going out to Como and uh, making a little noise in this game and just really, really sticking it to Missouri. Let me play the other side of the coin here. What if Florida gets blown out? And They could. Which they could. My question is, Billy Napier is only in – what year two, correct? Yes. Do do the Gator faithful and the Gator boosters do they start thinking we might not have the right guy? Yeah, could, could, yeah. I don't know. Florida, Florida fans, as we've seen, are very, um, very impatient. Yeah, they are. And I mean, just this season, have. Uh, this, that we've seen some some really flat performances from Florida this year, just to be just to be fair. Um, and they come out flat again and get smoked, which, like you said, they could very easily do. What 
does that mean for Billy Napier, if anything? Um, just an interesting thought. Thomas, I, we don't have them. I don't know who LSU's playing this year. Or excuse me, this year, this week. How about what LSU's quarterback, Jalen Daniels, did this oh past God. week? He's what ridiculous. It's he- ridiculous. He and and just so happened. Uh, my opponent in fantasy football this weekend had him, and that dude almost he almost beat me with just that guy alone. 69 fantasy points. He was crushing dudes. It is yeah. ridiculous. They've got Georgia State this weekend, so that's a nice little take-it-easy tune-up game yeah, for them. That'll make him feel a little bit better, but, man, he was impressive. All right, Thomas, so let's talk state of the, the program, okay, just, just for the sake of argument. Let's say I'm going to play, you know, usually I'm the sunshine pumper. I'm the homer. I'm I'm the Gamecock believer. The Gamecocks shouldn't, and I don't believe will, play poorly against Kentucky. This should be a close football game. Vegas thinks it's going to be. What if it's not? I don't think Shane Beamer's in any kind of hot seat situation. What does no. that tell you? I mean, what I guess what I guess what I'm trying to get at what does that do going forward, you know, recruiting kids thinking about going to the transfer portal because of how college football works now? Do you do you worry about that? What like where would let's say South Carolina loses by three touchdowns this Saturday? And I'm just mm-hmm. case scenario in it. What does the long term implications of that look like in your mind? Honestly, I, I don't think long-term is, is really that big of a deal. Yeah, it sucks, and then we wouldn't go bowling, and it would just kind of be like, yeah, and you always worry about the transfer portal. You're always going to have some attrition there, and you're going to lose guys to it. But I, I think, like with all things recruiting, the staff is going to use it as a recruiting tactic. Hey, we sure. need you. We need sure. talent. We we need to get to get to where we want to go with, with your talent and your skill set. So I think in the grand scheme of things, because of the way that this year has gone, it's like, well, nobody expected us to go 4-0 in November anyway, so here we are. Yeah, I agree with that. And, I mean, you hate to give excuses and, and whatnot. Sometimes this just happens in football. It's a violent game. You, you can't we, – we've hit on it. We've talked about it ad nauseum. There are a lot of injuries to this football team. I mean, we just yeah. mentioned Juju McDowell went down. D.K. Joyner was out for Vanderbilt, probably at least questionable for this game. We've mentioned the offensive line and how many guys have been injured there. So I agree with you. I was just you know, wanting to get your take on that because you're going to have first fans if you go on the message board. And again, I don't think this is going to happen. South Carolina gets their doors blown off this Saturday night. Williams Bryce, you're going to have fans calling for everything. Shane's yeah. head. Every you know, you're gonna have the guys who are gonna be like, Lenoris is gonna transfer, and this guy's gonna transfer. We're not keeping this recruit. I think that's all nonsense, but I just wanted to get your your take on that before we headed out the door. Thomas, if our fans want to follow us on social media, we are at SAA Football Fan on Twitter and Instagram. We have an email account, SAA Football Fan at gmail.com. You have a question you want to have us discuss. Thomas, as we head out the door, tell the people whatever you want to tell them. Mark Stoops, I'd like to officially welcome you to Columbia. I hope we hand your ass to you on a platter and send you back to Kentucky. And I hope we do it with our sunglasses on, sunglasses on, and we dance all over the field. Send you packing. See ya. See ya.